Welcome to the Secret Life of Cookies, where we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates, one recipe at a time, with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco. First, let me start with a thank you. This week's episode marks the one-year anniversary of the podcast, one whole year of baking and talking politics and current events with some of the best and definitely brightest of the bunch. My first thank you goes to you folks, though, my listeners who've been supportive and thoughtful all year long. I like to think, you know, we've created kind of a nifty community of like-minded people. Second, a thank you to all the people who've supported me throughout the year. First, my brother, David, who helped me launch, my husband, Mark, and my other brother, Paul, who've been super patient and thoughtful and have taken on the challenging role of taste testing. There's Bosco for cleaning up the floor around me when I bake. And of course, Grant Havers and Chris Cottonoir, who have helped at every step. And to all my amazing guests, among them, Kathy Griffin, Mary Trump, Joyce Vance, E. Jean Carroll, Simon Majumdar, Valerie Bertinelli, Jen Taub, and Katie Fang, among others. And now for my especially special guest, the beloved author Charles Finch, he of the Inspector Lennox Mysteries and a new nonfiction book, What Just Happened, Notes on a Long Year. We bake gingerbread cake, just the kind of thing the sleuthing Inspector Lennox would have enjoyed during a Victorian Christmas. Welcome to Charles Finch. It is a true pleasure to have you here on The Secret Life of Cookies. Not just because you're amazing and wonderful and all sorts of things, but also like you are my, I want to say my one millionth guest. You're not, but you are my one year anniversary guest. We are celebrating together one year of the secret life of cookies. And I could not be more pleased to have you as my guest. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. I can't believe I get to be the one year anniversary guest and I'm not even baking I because of various <laughs> COVID and Omicron related reasons. I'm sitting at a desk watching you bake, which is actually kind of soothing. So I feel like I'm getting the anniversary present. Thank you so much. You know, a lot of people find um, like watching the Great British Baking Show very soothing TV. Yes. Right. And so I find it a lot of people kind of sociologically as if you're not uh, implicated. (laughs) Yes, I am not implicated in that because I get a little nervous because I'm going through their recipes and their procedure and their technique. That must be because you're skillful. Whereas like to me, it all seems like a miracle. It seems like a miracle that anything comes out of the oven. I want to hate Paul Hollywood, but when he says like, it could have used another minute in the oven and you're like, and everyone looks at the baker and you know, he's right. I mean, that to me seems like, but to you, that must seem like a matter of inches where you're like, oh, oh no. Yeah. I feel, uh, I don't know. And I'm a little like, oh, Paul, don't be so critical. These people really tried <laughs> hard, which is kind of my approach to baking, which is why I'd have a show where I teach people how to bake via, you know, the airwaves as opposed to actually showing them. But I believe anyone can bake. So that's my sort of thing here. Before we go deep into the subject of books, apparently there's all sorts of things going on in the world around us today, which I'd like to talk about. I'm just going to quickly talk about what we're making, which is gingerbread, because tick, 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 Christmas. And I was inspired by Inspector Lennox, the sleuth in your uh, series of mystery novels because he's a Victorian gentleman and I truly associate gingerbread with Victorian appetites, even though it dates all the way back to the middle ages and the spice trade. And that's when it became our Christmas thing that we started to eat eat lots of spices. 
So they started importing ginger and that became a Christmas tradition? The and uh, cinnamon and ginger and um, nutmeg. Well, not nutmeg yet. Nutmeg would have to come from uh, the Caribbean and cloves. And those would be what you ate on feast days. And they tried to make it so that everyone could have that. Almost all stratas it started, of course, at the tippy top, but then it kind of made its way down into the middle class, uh, middle class of the Middle Ages. Yeah. And so that's why we eat. Like if you go to Germany, it's like Lebkuchen, uh, hard and soft Lebkuchen, gingerbread cookies. We have all these spiced treats that we eat in Western culture because of that. God, how, I mean, I feel like I'm watching like a really good Wikipedia entry. This is incredible. <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> There's a lot more I could say on the subject. I'm giving you I mean, the, I want to uh, hear more about Lebkuchen. What's a Lebkuchen? <laughs> you can't just drop Lebkuchen down in the conversation and pretend that I know what that is. Oh, well, I mean, most people. Lave oh, a classic wave hook. <laughs> oh, yeah, the classic. I mean, come on. <laughs> Folks, let's take a moment just to feel embarrassed for Charles Finch, shall we? I'm so um, sorry. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> anyway, Lave Kuchen is, I have a German and Central European background, and I have this ancient card written in my grandmother's Edwardian script, and it's really curly-whirly wow. and uppy-downy, which is, I think, how she was taught, right? Curly-whirly <laughs> and uppy-downy. And she has this recipe for Lebkuchen. <laughs> and it's basically, I could make one now, ship it to you by sea all the way around to the West Coast, and it would still be fine when it got to you. It's one of those I accept desserts. your offer. <laughs> I, 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 um, also, what, like most so British desserts, like, too. It's just like a big, dense piece of like matter. <laughs> one of those yeah, it, it's honey, which is a good preservative almond flour or ground almonds and lots and lots of spices and eggs to bind it together. As I learned from a Snapple bottle lid in 1997 <laughs> or so, honey is the only food that doesn't spoil. That's right. Alexander the Great got his head sent home after it was chopped off in a <laughs> barrel of honey to preserve it. As a preservative, your, your references are much more highbrow than mine already. I feel ashamed. Leva yeah. <laughs> so Cook and Alexander the Great. <laughs> okay, let's, let, let me just, let's, let's bake. I'm sitting in front of a bowl full of hot water and molasses. And molasses to me has a very distinct smell, kind of bitter, sort of unpleasant. I don't really like it, but it's kind of a wonderful base for gingerbread. And that's what we sort of here in this country pour all our spices into. And it's very easy to make. And it's really why I wanted you to try it because it's like, not that you're simple, but you've just never baked a lot before. And it's really (laughs) a question. Um, is molasses <laughs> what comes out of the trees in Little House in the Big Woods? No, that is not. That's maple syrup, I think. Yeah, they make maple syrup candy in the Little House books. Uh, okay. Favorite. Molasses um, then and, is, you're dealing with a true ignoramus, as I think you can tell already. Mola- no, no. Molasses. Come on. I've read all your books. Yeah, you know, you're no ignoramus. <laughs> um, <laughs> molasses you, is an extract from the brown sugar, from the sugar making process. So it's one of the... Okay. Uh, the things that comes off of that and part of the triangle trade and all the horrible things that we did in yeah. our life. If nutmegs from the Caribbean, why is Connecticut the nutmeg state? I have no idea. I have no idea. And it was one of the things I know I've looked it up at one point. So I wonder if that's maybe where it's probably very easy nutmeg. to look up. Yeah. Oh, that must be. Yes, that's it. Maybe the um, I, you know, I suspect it's going to have to do with the slave trade and and it's just going to be a bummer of an answer. Should I look it yes. up right now live? Yeah, look it up right now. I want to know what's happening. Okay. 
a lot of people ask about a writer's process. This is my process. It's just Googling stuff. Yeah. And, <laughs> no. uh, and the rabbit holes that one falls into. Yeah, exactly. Well, my friend Rebecca has this great advice, which is she tells her students, you should just write short stories about the five things you like fall into the deepest rabbit holes on Wikipedia about. Oh my God. Which is interesting. And everyone says the same thing, which is I just, I just look up the same stuff as everyone else, which is like, whatever, Victorian carousels, Nazi Germany and whatever. And she's like, no one else is looking that stuff up, you weirdo. And it turns out everyone thinks that they have these universal interests and she gets like great stories. Okay, the sobriquet, the nutmeg state is applied to Connecticut because its early inhabitants had the reputation of being so ingenious and shrewd that they were able to make and sell wooden nutmegs. You could have given me a thousand guesses and I wouldn't have said that. I would have never, ever guessed that they had. So basically they were sneaky. I mean, yeah, that's what I think of when I think of Connecticut. It's a lot of tax dodges up there, you know. Yeah. And I'm joking. And I'm joking. I know. No, no, no one I know from my father grew up in Connecticut. Um, so basically they could sell wood and nutmegs because nutmeg looks like a round piece of wood. It's kind of like an NFT scam back in the it's like That's- <laughs> 1610s NFTs were wooden nutmegs. You could pass one off on someone and sell your little wooden ape. Okay, we can we can thank gingerbread. No, this is, can I just this is, interject? Can I yes. just interject? I truly love gingerbread. I was so excited, but the my gateway drug was um Pepperidge Farm gingerbread men. That was like my oh. childhood addiction. Me too. And so I can't I don't have like yes, exactly. I don't have like a high class gingerbread love, but I do love it. And when I've had good gingerbread, I feel like I appreciate it cuz you don't get spice in dessert enough. That's my as a savory person. Interesting. Okay. Maybe well, you then you're in the right place. And exactly. all those Victorian British desserts that the Brits eat still to this day. I'm married to an Englishman that are leaden and heavy with raisins and oranges and spice and all sorts of dried fruit. Those you would love them if you haven't already eaten them. Mince pies. Well, so I, I I lived in England and there was a at my college there was a um, tradition where they would bury the cake on the Christmas and then unearth it the next year. And and so we taste it. Just tastes like awful. It's like a fruit, or like a just a rum bomb of like, or, or I don't know what they use, but it was kind of funny. I mean, yeah, I don't know I, why is it so heavy. Why are they all so heavy to because, preserve them? I assume. Well, no, I mean they're just really, really dense. There's absolutely no leavening or little leavening in it at all. And so basically, you dump everything in a thing, and there must be two pounds of dried fruit in a Christmas cake. Right. And then you can put a, and then you like keep soaking it with brandy. Like you make it in September and you feed the cake every week or so with brandy, spooning it over one for me, one for the cake. Um, <laughs> seven for me. <laughs> seven for me. That's the Pop British the way. Oh. Yeah, exactly. um, screw the cake. Oh, sorry. <laughs> then no matter what it looks like at that point, you coat it in a layer of marzipan or marzipan as my husband would say. And then a layer of royal icing, which is that fondanty stuff. Disgusting. See, or sort of like fondant that you see. Yeah. And disgusting. Truly vile. Truly vile. But also, it's better than wrapping your cake in plastic wrap. <laughs> it just enrobe. It's like a, a Jurassic Park amber. <laughs> exactly. It's amber for cakes. I'm yeah. taking that line. That's great. But we're talking a lot about baking. And... I want to talk, I'm going to crack two eggs, which will be the strange noise people here at home, because there are nice eggs in this to keep it all tied together. And I'm also going to add chocolate chips to my 
gingerbread Ooh. cake, mostly because I've made three gingerbread cakes working on this recipe over the past week. And um, I need a little, you know, a little something. And I believe you can add chocolate to anything. <laughs> chocolate gingerbread. Have you found like precedence for this or have you done this before? This has been done before. Um, <laughs> We're breaking it's... new ground here. On. <laughs> <laughs> and on top of that, um, it's really popular in Germany. You could make Lebkuchen. I was going to say home of the Lebkuchen. <laughs> yes, home of the Leib. You can chocolate dip a Lebkuchen, people. Well, let's um, not get too crazy. No, 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 no. But it's Christmas. <laughs> it's true. Um, it's true. It's Christmas and the world's going to pot. And speaking of which, <laughs> um, I really, I don't, can't say I, I, I did enjoy your latest book. Um, <laughs> what a promising start. I can't say I enjoyed your latest book. <laughs> no, no, no. I compl- I know, but it's hard because it's all about the year that was. I know, right? I know. And in fact, it may be turning out to be a groundhog day or groundhog year with what with our friend Omicron. I misspoke when I said I didn't enjoy it because of course I enjoyed it. And I don't think I actually said that. And I think my words are being taken out of context. I'm joking. I'm joking. And what I really said, I've learned a lot from um uh, Donald Trump. Anyway, <laughs> what I meant to say was for such a terrible experience as 2020 was, rewalking the path of 2020 with you, literally your actual meanderings, like you wandering around the streets of LA yelling at wolves and, <laughs> um, and getting chocolate filled cupcakes, my favorite. I mean, cream-filled cupcakes. And don't think I didn't pick up on all the food references in your book. That's my thing. <laughs> the Odyssey was just about people grilling lamb, as far as I was concerned. That's my only takeaway. Anyway. I always think of C.S. Lewis when he said, anytime it's getting too down, I put a meal in. <laughs> oh, my God. That's going to be my new family motto. Isn't that the best? Yeah, it's, like, it's best. so true. I'm so surprised I never heard that. Re-experiencing it, along with your feelings, was, was soothing in a way, because one, it made me feel less alone, right? Even though I was in a house with people, the experience itself was so unusual. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't, I think it's going to be like a lifetime of, um, of figuring it out. I don't think it's going to be like a, you know, a month or two. Like I think, so the book is called what just happened. And it's about if, for those of you who are just here for the baking, just to, <laughs> no um, one's which, just here for the baking. <laughs> well, I'm partially here just for the baking, to be honest. I want to know what's going on on that mandolin or whatever you have. Um, but anyway, it's called what just happened. And it's a, it's a kind of um, a chronological journal with essay like entries about 2020. And so it's like divided in between what life was like, you know, baking in March of 2020 and like having sourdough starter and all that. Yeah. And then there's some Trump stuff that's, I hope kind of funny and not too it's, heavy. And it's uh, so it's so funny and insightful in that way that humor can be. Um, thank you. Yeah. I think 2020 it was, it's, I just think we're going to be thinking about it for, I think there's like a before and after kind of Vietnamish feeling to it for me where it's like, I mean, that sounds melodramatic maybe, but like we all did this really unusual thing and people who didn't do it are going to be sort of a different kind of, have a different sort of mind, you know, like people who don't remember what it was like to have done it. Or I, I just think that's going to be a dividing line. And so this book is maybe, a, I, I don't know, I hope a first toss at, at understanding what it was like. As a historian, it's to me something really, really useful for future historians because it's so in your mind and 
so aware of everything. Like you've done all the, like as a historian, like when you read like Daniel Defoe, a uh, journal of the plague year, you've got to do yeah. a lot of extra legwork to really know <laughs> what was going on. You've done a lot of the legwork for us by telling me like what's on TV, what happened in the news. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so future historians will thank you. You have some really wonderful insights into and humorous. I, I can't even say it's a humorous take. It's just sort of a wry take on what's happened, what happened, what what it was like to experience Trump during this. And there's a quote that I scribbled down on a piece of paper in front of me that I want to read to you loudly. That's a piece of paper turning over for all you people. I mean, aside from the fact that you describe Brian Kilmeade as a Furby like personage. Uh, gosh. <laughs> I will Brian never Kilmeade. <laughs> Kilmeade. Um, it, <laughs> okay, this is the quote. I, I just, it really brought it all home to me about the Trump administration. Apparently, it's still ongoing. Did you know he's still the president of the United States? Wasn't he going to be reinstated by fiat or something? I, yeah. I oh, yeah. Ugh. There are people out there bad. who you can interview who say, yeah, mm -hmm. he's it's still, happening any day. Ugh, he's ha or he, they believe he's president anyway. Oh, already yeah. currently president? Oh, mm -hmm. my God. Well, maybe Never you can negotiate with Joe Manchin then. <laughs> might, that might be the <laughs> maybe person we can for throw us. him in there, get him to, yeah. No, oh, God. Too dark. <laughs> Too dark. Um, <laughs> so you write, if you step back a foot or two, it all seems like a piece of the real high insanity stuff. No different, really, than Caligula making his horse a senator, except perhaps that it's more reckless. And I like your, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I really like that you sort of pulled back there and said, perhaps it's more reckless when... <laughs> Well, the horse is kind of a neutral actor in the audience, yes, you have to assume. Whereas, you know, Betsy DeVos is out here, like, you know, with a sniper rifle at elementary school, just like wishing she could. I mean, she's like, you know, doing everything she can to immiserate children, you know, like for years on. So, I mean, yeah, what are you supposed to think about a government that, I don't know, at least there's well, an honesty to the horse. Exactly. There's a true honesty like, to the fuck horse. You, here's a horse. I'm gonna <laughs> excuse my language, but it's like you know, you know what you know what a horse does, right? Yeah, exactly. These guys um are unpredictable, except that they were extraordinarily reckless, continue to be reckless, have left a legacy of recklessness in Congress, right? It's true. And they're still going. <laughs> I mean, you know, the court, the it's whatever. We could we could bemoan it all day, I guess. <laughs> You also said in the book, I can't believe that this is a paraphrasing. I can't believe we have justices named Brett and Amy. <laughs> God, what a comeuppance for America. Exactly. Brett and Amy are going to see you out. Exactly. So I'm about to do, I'm going to take a quick break from crying over the America. And I'm going to do <laughs> the greatest thing possible, which is all I've done is one bowl of dry ingredients that actually smells really good because it has too much ginger, too much cinnamon, too many cloves. So even if you don't end up making my recipe for gingerbread, the key is always have an unsteady hand with the spices so that you add more than it says. Is there a, a balance of spices that's like considered the rule of thumb? I, I don't know. I suppose do you just do McCormick's, equal parts of those things, kind of. Mm -mm, because if you put too much, if you put equal parts cloves, cinnamon, and ginger, your mouth will burn. Like really? it'll hum. Cloves make your mouth hum. I mean, it's kind of it's like the Szechuan peppercorn of baking. 
Yeah. Of spices. Um, I like the I like the candy ginger though with a little kick. You get that around Christmas sometimes. That's really mm-hmm. good. Yeah. And it's a good addition to this too, that you could just toss in so they get a quick you see, Marissa, you seem pretty reckless yourself. You'll throw anything in there. Candy ginger and chocolate. <laughs> and then I'll feed it to a horse. <laughs> um, anyway, you just add the liquid ingredients to the dry ingredients and basically you're done. So it's really you don't even have to like cream butter. The butter's melted. So it's a really easy recipe. I also add um, recklessly some orange zest to it because Ooh. Christmas time comes once a year. Can I ask on the first three goes of this, what what mistakes did you see in your gingerbread? Or were they all good and you just like to do it over and over? Um, no, the first one, I didn't have enough molasses in the house. So I substituted honey for half of it because I really like I've learned to like honey and spice cakes and things like that. I got to say it was a little dry, different recipe too. So I started being a little more generous with butter and water because you mix water and molasses and then just said, oh, screw it. I'll just use molasses for the whole thing. I will say I've been eating, there's piles of aluminum foil wrapped things (laughs) over there that I haven't distributed to my neighbors yet, but the really dry one, has aged pretty well. I like to hand it to people and say, it's really dry. I hope you enjoy it. I mean, it sounds like a good dunker. Is it a good dunker? It's a good dunker. Toasting it with butter, maybe some cream cheese. That's a little too crazy for me. I'll dunk it and be happy. I'll just stay there. (laughs) Toasting gingerbread with cream cheese. Oh my God. Or with butter. Wow. Wow. Mm, Yeah. Okay. I'm just saying. Are you above making shapes out of your gingerbread? This is a cake. So this, I can't make it. I'm going to also make a gingerbread, gingerbread cookies. And those I will make shapes out of. I I feel like I want a gingerbread house, but I, I, there's no chance I'm going to go the effort of making it right. Never. No, buy them the ready-made because you're not going (laughs) to eat that stuff anyway. Um, It's just about gluing can't like having piles of candy near you and gluing them on the house. Isn't it? I mean, that sounds great. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) I don't even need to do the gluing. I can just... (laughs) Just pop it in, exactly. I do make um, gingerbread cookies and I have ninja-shaped ones, like ninja-shaped cookie cutters that, of course, we call ninja bread. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Um, I become that house. Um, Tip your waitresses, folks. (laughs) Thanks. Hey. So speaking of sad jokes... Talk about segue. Back to Speaking Trump. Of, <laughs> back to Trump. Exactly. But really, um, I woke up this morning and he's decided to sue Letitia James, the attorney general Ugh. of New York State, for even threatening to um, sue him. And that's really his uh, modus operandi. And I'm a little fed up about it, especially as we are fed up with the idea of him. And I was wondering if you'd like me to be president again. No. Um, <laughs> Why do I regret voting for Donald Trump? Well, (laughs) (laughs) no, I never did. I I don't know about you if you had much, much dealings with Trump supporters. But I remember distinctly talking to someone who said, don't worry, no one president can have too much impact on the United States. Oh, gosh, (laughs) hard to hear. You know, maybe maybe they're right. Maybe maybe we're going to survive, but it seems 50-50. It seems 50-50 to me. After January 6th, all bets were off. Sorry. This is this is not this is not cheerful gingerbread a one-year anniversary <laughs> conversation. Um so I shouldn't talk about Omicron now and how um, how's it going. <laughs> 
How's Omicron going? So far, okay, I guess. No, I I think I think this is all going to be over soon. That's my Christmas message is like, I think this is going to become, they've been saying for months, it's going to become endemic. It's just going to be like the flu and we're going to have vaccines and boosters and it feels awful, but I don't think it's actually like March, 2020. Like, you know, we were so, I was so scared. Everyone was so scared. And it was really like, there was sort of a predator on the streets. Like that was like, you were like, if, if someone touches something and I touched it a day later, could I get, I mean, and everyone was right. So I, I do think there's this kind of like PTSD, collective PTSD we're all having right now, where it's like, we hear this word Omicron and we're like, we're also scared of Omicron, myself included, that <laughs> it's like, we have this like Omicron fear. And I, maybe it's time for us to kind of I don't know, retire that, that mode of feeling from March, 2020. I sometimes think. I, I would like to think that way. I think the next three or four weeks are going to be pretty brutal. Oh yeah. Hell, hell. <laughs> <laughs> because everyone already is sick from COVID that I know. I mean, yeah. really, truly, yeah. it's like pretty uh, unfortunate. And I hope you all are feeling better. Um, mm-hmm. And that all, of, I mean, I got the letter yesterday saying that my son was exposed to someone on his athletic team. And uh. so We'll be getting him PCR tested today. So there's that. I hope he's all right. He will be, right? He's vaccinated. And so he's vaccinated. And all the other kids who've gotten it in his school, which I think last week were like 23 or 25 kids. Whoa. So you see, like, I have the feeling again where I live here on the East Coast. Oh, in New York, in New Jersey, which is like the most hard hit state next to New York right now, that it is the predator in the air right now. Like you can't wear a good enough mask to prevent it. It's true. It seems like everyone's kind of like, yeah, no, a hundred percent. But you know, the hospitalizations are are not that high among people. Who, I just want people to get vaccinated. That's what sort of breaks my heart is like watching it spread and just feeling the helplessness of just being like, there's a, an incredibly easy solution for free anywhere in your neighborhood <laughs> and people just being like, no way. And then just dying. And it's, you know, we're going to get to a million deaths. And I, as I talk about in the book, I remember when we were saying, well, we could lose up to 50,000 people, you know, like, right. I mean, it's, it's kind of, that's the nightmarishness that like underlies all these other fears to me is. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. You have a doctor friend that you talk about in the book named Nathan. How's yeah. he doing? You know, he's, I think he's tired. <laughs> he's, uh, <laughs> he's great. So he was, he was one of the first people um, to deal with COVID cases and you know, I talk a lot about his experiences because he was learning on the fly how to deal with this disease and worrying about getting it himself and stuff like that. And now it's kind of like, I don't know, like people are, it's what we were just talking about. Like the, I think the hospitals are incredibly full, all the, everyone's quitting. And as part of the great resignation, people are like, I don't want to work 70 hours a week as a doctor and, and get Mm -hmm. yelled at for, you know, and I think Everyone's just at a breaking point. It's really tough. I don't know. How are we going to get out of it? Just um, time. Time. I think it's going to have to be time. Yeah. And so I think like, I think that, I mean, I think that profession particularly right now is having a difficult moment. And the other thing that's really hard to come to terms with, and I think a lot of people who are heading home to see family for Christmas who come from divided families are going to experience family who are like, don't even really realize that COVID exists even though it's all around them. I, I, and to care more about protecting them from COVID than they care themselves is the, but I mean, maybe it's a time when people will be able to convince people to get vaccines. Do you think that's implausible? Yes. Okay. I'm not from a divided enough family, I guess. I, you know. My family is 
the opposite, like totally together. We have all believed the same things, but okay. I know from other people who are like, you know, it's like explaining to like a kid that the, you know, Santa Claus doesn't exist. He does. He does exist if they're kids <laughs> listening, but it's like explaining to people that to them, COVID is like bad, not something real and vaccines. They can't do anything. They could hurt me. You know, there's a lot of crazy out there. <laughs> so speaking of all the crazy out there, it's been a kind of brutal week watching like the build back better get tr- trounced on by people like, Oh, just one person, Joe Manchin. Um, <laughs> and it made me think about one of my favorite games that I used to play with my mother. <laughs> Cause that was the house I grew up in, <laughs> but um, it's my uh, Dante's new rings of hell game. And in the rings of hell, Dante's a classic mother daughter game. <laughs> exactly. Driving along. What do we talk about? Makeup? No. We are going to talk about. <laughs> I love it. I, I think it's great. <laughs> Dante's rings of hell. And I also have to say that my mother, who was a scholar, I think that's what we call her. She, she was real smart and a scholar and stuff <laughs> like that, was also an enormous fan of the Vector Lennox series of books. And really, oh. when she moved on to the great library in the sky, which was recently, I got to take up all of her Inspector Lennox books and move them to my house. So they're here oh, that means now. so much to me. I really can't <laughs> even tell you. I, I you know. I, I, she was the greatest connoisseur of mystery yeah. books in the whole world. So I'm so honored. Thank you. <laughs> it's really nice. Truly. Um, so uh, she, she passed that on to me and now I'm talking to you and boy, she would be very excited. Oh, that's, um, that makes my day. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. But that was a nice point. Let's go back to nasty. Um, the, uh, <laughs> so, Dante. <laughs> so Dante and the rings of hell, he was punishing all the bad people hanging around Florence. Then. <laughs> and I would like to think up new circles of hell for some of the people who have, you know, undone us, say politicians, they had their own, like the eighth circle was all with different pouches where different people doing different evil things could go. And could you like, where would you put Joe Manchin? Oh gosh, Joe Manchin. Well, I feel like you want to get people at their most, what they care about most, like their downfall. And I feel like what, I mean, this is actually something that puzzles me is like, what really drives him? Is it just like, he likes the attention of being like the philosopher King centrist? Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think he's puffed up. So it would have to be something really, I think like he should have to work in one of his coal mines. That's or a something nice like one. That. In total well, somebody, anonymity, while knowing that he was Joe Manchin. <laughs> you yeah, know he has I mean? to have that inside knowledge. That's good. Yes. While people, people how above you, the coal mine are driving around in his Maserati and he can Exactly. Hear it. He has to like feed coal into everyone's Maseratis and like, get, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, exactly. And he has to wear his little suit and his little pin and his little special hair cream and go down into coal mines and do that. That's what I want for Joe Manchin. What would you choose? I think that's fantastic because you mentioned the idea of anonymity. And I think yeah. that's exactly right. Cause right now he's craving being the big man. Oh, right now he thinks best. he's just like, he's like Elon and I are running this country. That's his, that's <laughs> a, just that kind of. Ooh, does Elon get to go into one of the circles? Oh, I, I like barely want to expend the mental energy on him. Cause I find him so boring. He's just like Fair. this like teen, <laughs> teen loser that I despise who just like, but um, for Elon, gosh. What would it no, be? No, no, I think actually you're right. Let's not expend any mental okay, energy okay, on him. Yeah. It's the holidays. <laughs> exactly. Um, but where, what would you do to Trump? 
What sort of punishment would you give him in a ring of hell? I mean, that's the hardest one, isn't it? That's the hardest. He kind of defeats the system because his like inner motivations are so elusive. Like, is he just a child in total arrest at like the age of two? Is that possible? Yeah. And how are you going to punish that child? It's very hard. But I would like him to... (laughs) The thing you always want from him is to admit his wrongness. So a punishment that would fit that because he just will never like look someone in the face and be like, I'm sorry that I exposed 500 gold star families to COVID knowing I had it when there was no vaccine. Like he won't do that. And so like, but you can't confront him with his failures to quote Jackson Brown. (laughs) Maybe. And this might come across as too cruel for the holiday season. So um, no, no, let's, there's no bad ideas. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, he had, he was a, I think he's a very wounded child, right? He, right. from you know, reading Mary Trump's book, you have this sense Your that, guest, you, know, Mary, you know. One of the highlights of year one. That was a great oh, episode. She talked about how like desperate he was for his parents' attention, right? So what if he had to constantly apologize to his parents in hell? <laughs> wow. Like, yeah, sure. I mean, I have you seen his parents where his mom looks like him in a wig? <laughs> frightening like upsweep of hair yeah you know what i think trump would hate the most is like if he had to hang out with his own voters like i I would make him move in with like a family in mississippi that loves trump and lives in like a shotgun shack and has no money and raw sewage floating and he has to live there for eternity how about that oh but he doesn't get to be worshipped by them he's just like a member of the again i'd see he gets (laughs) it So he has to live with his voters. I think that's his with the people he's like, you know, using. And eat their food and wear their clothes yep. and sit on their non-guilt um, Unfortunately, toilets. he might like the food. He might like the like. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm willing to take that, that loss. That is it. I think, you know what, I can't, I don't think we can play this game further because that is too good. Um, <laughs> okay. Thank, wow. Because you're ab- you. you're absolutely right. Because he despised his voters. He just he loathes them. He loathes them. It's really a, it's a it's a sad state of affairs. Why am I such a depressing podcast guest? This is like a no. You are Christmas. not. <laughs> no, you are not depressing in the slightest. You're. I think. I don't know. I appreciate the sort of having some. It, you know, playing this game to me it makes you me feel a little more in charge. Of what's going <laughs> yeah, no, on instead of just. So just being a victim to you. it. <laughs> I love the game. Uh, I think we have to wrap up soon so people can uh, wrap up. That's like a Christmas. I'm sorry. Um, oh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not going to. Somebody cut that out. Um, it's family disease. Uh, anyway, I'm going to take this gingerbread and a uh, gingerbread cake. I'm going to pour it into a big 13 by nine inch pan. And it's going to bake up to be about two and a half inches thick and moist and delicious and gingerbread gets better with age like we all want it. interesting here's my question is so i probably have one big baking effort in me this holiday season and i'll make one thing because i i like to cook like i love making soups and like mm. I, i'll cook all day but i baking i find like nerve-wracking but i do like to bake one thing should it be this gingerbread if you like spice um I might bake this gingerbread, but I also might bake, I made some five spice gingerbread cookies like that are Ooh. really intense that have the crystallized ginger in them. And I use five spice powder, which is- So that might amazing. scratch my pepperidge farm itch. <laughs> it might scratch <laughs> your pepperidge farm itch by all means, or there's always Leibkuchen. Um, <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just start turning out Leibkuchen. 
you guys can't tell at home, but I was shaking my head. No, no, it's totally an acquired taste. Anyway, as we lean into, I hate that phrase, as we head into the Christmas season, it's the last week before Christmas and the greatest last minute gift of all time, especially is, is books. And I wondered as a man of books and letters of which you are, You got um, my business card, I see. <laughs> I did. Man of books and letters. Um, <laughs> what, it says. Uh, what books can you recommend? What should we all rush out and buy for? Uh, it's a really great last minute gift for all our gifts for all our friends. I just bought a copy for my sister of um, Eve Babbitt's uh, Eve's Hollywood. Eve Babbitt's just died. She was a great chronicler of 60s and 70s LA and Hollywood. Just a beautiful writer and kind of there's the famous picture of her with Marcel Duchamp playing chess. I mean, she's one of the great lives and um, New York review of books has released a bunch of her old books and I'm in love with those. So I'm giving those, but that's just like the, the last thing I got. I'm trying to think what else I really adored. I always like to give people Paul Beatty's the sellout. I think because it's like a funny novel, but it's also kind of like a good novel, which is like, you know, people will usually want like a fun novel, but not necessarily a good novel, but they'll be happy if they get a good novel. And so I think that's like in that amazing spot where it's like really fun to read. But um, did totally. you read that one? Yeah, it's a wonderful book. You're absolutely I right. I love that book. Scratch so that's all something the where itches. you can just get, exactly. You can just, that's that's a $14 little paperback you can get for someone. And it's like a nice, and uh, so I like that kind of book. I don't know. I need recommendations though. Are you giving anything really smart and good? Um, oh, hoist on your own petard. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> no, no. It's so. I mean, listen, we're all dealing with a less than a full deck of cards right now. I can barely remember what I'm currently reading. I know. I often describe books by just the color. Like it is the most beautiful, like celadon green, and they're like, uh-huh. <laughs> it's really pretty, and I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> I know that feeling. Yeah. Not, yeah. Um, I, I promised to post my list of great recommendations on my Substack <laughs> um, because they're all okay, in nice. a beautiful. Ask me again. Okay. Here, can I give a cooking recommendation? Lori yes, Colvin. Please. I feel like that's always, <gasps> you can only give happiness if you give happy all the time or home cooking or something. Oh my gosh. That's exactly what I give people. Thank you. How did really? you know? You totally read my mind. I read all the Lori Colwin books in the run-up to my, to my wedding because I was agitated. And it's the only thing that would calm my mind before sleep. <laughs> that's so funny. That's so um, funny. I love it. Those books are wonderful and worth reading and even cook, worth cooking out of. That is, there you go. Thank you it's for true. remembering and what my give, recommendation I mean, was. And happy all the time, I think, especially. That's like sending St. Bernard whiskey to someone. That's just like a guaranteed little burst of happiness. I read that. And then I read all her novels this year, too. She's the best. I got them all out of the library. It had that wonderful scent. I mean, these books were published, what, in the 80s? They had that rumple crinkly outside and that smell of musty Ugh. library to them. And they must've been, t- all the pages were soft from hands turning the pages and sort of wearing away at the pages. Oh, um, the best. It was the best. So yeah, Lori Colwin and all the inspector Lennox series, just give them <laughs> yeah. to people because we're all going to be inside. And if people haven't read them yet, then they can have them all and just eat them one after another because they're so wonderful. He's a great okay. character. 
Thank you. Um, Thank we can you. talk about him. Ne- maybe next year you can come on and we can talk about him a little more. Next time I'm going to bake something really good. You guys are all going to have to be quiet. I'm going to do something amazing. <laughs> <laughs> next Christmas, okay? <laughs> next Christmas. <laughs> you can practice in the meantime. But I thank you so much for coming on today. And um, I hope you have a really, really really wonderful holiday. And I'll send you a picture of the gingerbread. I'm sorry, I can't send you any. I'm going to send you a picture of whatever I make. It might end up being like a pie or it might be gingerbread cookie, but I'm going to make one thing and I'm going to send you a picture. Ooh, pie, make a pie. Yeah, I love making pie. That's kind of fun. Okay, thank you so much, Morris. Okay, thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you again for tuning in. Thank you so much to Charles Finch for being my very special guest. Go celebrate the anniversary of the podcast with cookies, of course. And if you would, please, please leave a review on the Apple site. I would be most grateful. Share cookies, share joy. Have a wonderful holiday. 